Welcome back. I'm Paul Unger, editor of Placetech. Today, we're looking at what is meant by workplace experience, what are companies asking for, and what are the big trends in the market? I'm joined by two excellent guests, Kevin Wilhelm, country manager for the US and Canada at Shari, and Victor Sanchez, a senior director and head of global design and build at LinkedIn. I want to start by looking at what the big trends are around workplace experience right now. Um, so Kevin, I'll come to you first. Um, what are your clients thinking and, and what do they want when it comes to workplace experience? Well, the first thing I'll say, Paul, about workplace experience is that people look for it. People want to go to work and enjoy themselves. I know it's not like a big secret, but it's very true. People want to go to work. They want to enjoy themselves when they interact with one another in the office. They want it to be a good time. And there's a lot of good reasons why companies should want to support that as well. I mean, not just the basic ones. I mean, we all know that, you know, you want to improve retention, all that fun stuff. But happy employees are going to give you three times the revenue growth compared to companies when they've surveyed and had unhappy employees. And it's important to look at it from a couple different ways. And I think that's something we're seeing as a trend is people are looking at it as a combination of policy, training, space and technology. They realize that there's not, you know, like a one size fits all or, or one simple solution to workplace experience. They're doing a lot of experimentation, testing and revising. I mean, we saw 2.6 billion square feet of office space during the pandemic that suddenly sat empty for months or in some cases, years plus on end. Companies are going to do a major recalibration in terms of how they're utilizing their office space and how they're going to make sure that they're creating the right workplace experience. Yeah. And Victor, does that echo what you've seen at LinkedIn the last couple of years? Yes, it, it feels, if it echoes a lot, it, it feels very consistent what we're seeing, but I, I want to take a step back. When, when we talk about experience, um, we have to recognize that experience is subjective. And in other words, it is it's very personal, right? Um, and it relates to how people feel when they, in their, they interact with the workplace environment. And, and I think that's in addition, I, th I think what um, what Kevin said is, is spot on, is that includes kind of the physical space and the digital space. But more importantly, I believe is their interactions or creating the opportunities for them to interact with other people, their colleagues, their peers, their bosses. And, and yeah, so um, in, in terms of just general trends that we're seeing, um, we're seeing that only 20 or 30% of the people are coming back into the office. And, and and I think Kevin, you highlighted that too. And but if you think about what what's happening outside of the office, what's happening in in sporting events, what's happening at the airport, um, and that seems to be back to almost 100 percent. Right? So so is people want that collaboration? People want that experience? I think that the office is is has more work to do to create that space for them. Yeah, sure, and. How does that um, that subjectivity that you talked about at the outset there, people's needs and desires varying, how do you ensure as one single employer that you are meeting those various needs of, uh, of different individuals that you uh, that you employ essentially? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. So, so two things. One is. Um, what we're doing is, is really understanding the objective, objectively and subjectively understanding the behaviors of the employees, right? Not only using analytics um, for to understand when people are coming in, what are they doing when they're in the office? For example, they're using a desk or they're using an, uh, an enclosed office. Um, 
the, the general generalization um, and behaviors within the space, but also asking them questions, asking them questions about like, hey, how's your work? What brings you back into the office? When you're in the office, um, what do you do? Or why do you even come into the office, right? So we have a ton of metrics that help us understand that both, again, objective and subjective. Um, but then I think when you start thinking about solutioning, a, a couple of things, and we're probably going to get into in more of this. One is frictionless access. Just make it super easy for people to come into the space. Um, second is agility and flexibility of the space, right? Flexibility and agility of the space. The space needs to change to support the different work modes, to support the different reasons why people come back into the office. Yeah, sure. And, and Kevin, how can software help with all this? You know, I, I think Victor made a really good point when he's talking about the importance of frictionless access. One of the things we've discovered from all of this is that employees want trust. Whether they're working from the office or working remotely, they want their employers to trust them that they're going to do a good job and get done what they need to do. Access is a big part of it. You know, think of the traditional link in the chain of when I wanted to go to the office, all the different steps in terms of that onboarding that had to happen. Now, that onboarding is happening remotely, number one. And number two, we want to support people going back in. So imagine a scenario where, you know, I'm an executive at a company and suddenly I find myself in Australia for vacation, for fun, doesn't matter. And I want to go visit the Australian office because I want to see those coworkers that I haven't seen in a long time. I want to have that really great collaboration that we're all trying to drive for now. The traditional way it would have worked is I maybe email my boss, who'd email someone else, who'd create a support ticket, who would do something else, who would do something else. I'd have to go pick up a plastic card and then I could go in and actually see someone. You think of what we can do now with mobile software technologies and frictionless access. That can be a one-click thing. That could be something that already exists in my profile. And it's going to make it a lot easier for that frictionless access to drive that collaboration, in particular, that flexible collaboration, right? It's not like we're all going to the same you know, collaboration room every day, five days a week anymore. That collaboration can be a lot of different spaces in a lot of different ways. It could be different offices physically. It could be a combination of hybrid. But making sure that people have the capability of easily doing it and feeling trusted in the process is a big key. I think that's a great point, Kevin. And I just want to add a couple of things. In terms of just software, um, when, when we remove friction, I think there's a couple of things. It's not just the friction to come into the space kind of through the security. I think I think what Kevin outlined is, 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 is fun, foundational, right? Trust between the employee and the employer. Um, but going back to the technology part, I, I think there's two, two things that I'm seeing, and then we're. I'm I'm seeing, and a lot of signals that will support that. If we get this technology aspects right, the experience will be much better. So one of them is um, the coordinating the visits, just knowing when your peers, your colleagues, your employees, whoever is going to be in the office, um, and and that's something my that might feel like oh that's simple is, 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 is um, primary, like that should be very simple to solve using any software, but it's not. It's not as simple as, as, as people think. I guess if you only have a team of two, then it's probably simple, right? But you have a team of like 20 or, or 10 or 20 or 25, 50, then it becomes a lot more complicated to solve for that, that coordination. So and that's something that we're trying to solve for at LinkedIn. We have our own native app that we're building internally. Um, uh, we call it Flexing. So to give people the opportunity to, to um, share with everyone else when they plan to be in the office or, or share with whoever they want to share with, you know, their sensitivity around that. Um, but the second part is the distributed collaboration. Even that, even the, the how do we collaborate 
By that, I mean people in the office, in the conference rooms, and people calling in remotely from other parts of outside of the office. And, and, and here, and, and I think it's more than just like VC teams and that. I think, I think um, really technology that supports the entire life cycle of the meeting, right? If prior, you know what used to happen prior to the pandemic, those like hallway conversations prior to walking into the conference, uh, into the conference room, like what's happening during the conference room and giving everyone equal access to that information. And then what's happening after that, right? So now you have maybe more 20, let's say 20% of the people in the room, um, or in, in some cases, maybe 60, 70%. Um, it, it, but you still have a, a bigger number of people calling in and they're not getting all of that same level of information that happens before and after and even during the meeting. So I, I think that's another, just thinking about tech, tech, that's another opportunity. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 interesting. I think the the future of work sort of debate is, uh, for, for me, it hangs a lot on the management of it. That there's, it's sort of been thrust on a lot of managers who arrived in those positions not expecting to have to manage remotely. And some of them aren't suited to it. They don't have the personality for it necessarily. And they don't want to come into the city. They think they know enough clients. They don't want to do any more networking, but they're hiring graduates that need to overhear how they handle a call and learn from them and things like that. So often you've got the wrong managers in the wrong seats, and it's going to take years to, to work that out. So if there are tools now that can help them and remove some of the friction and speed up some of the processes, enrich, like you say, capturing those hallway chats, how do you get that online? Um, I think it's absolutely vital. And then you're helping management out, which especially as we go into choppy waters and you know potential storm ahead economically, they, they don't want any, you can't afford friction in the machine, right? No, I mean, you make a really good point there, Paul is it's about aligning the technology and support departments around that technology for your internal customers. It's one thing to keep throwing tech at a problem, one thing to keep throwing resources at a problem. But you need to align your support teams around that and you need to align what your actual workplace workers are using it for. So, you know, Victor has a great new app and I'm sure LinkedIn is doing a great job of, you know, how they're going to explain it to their internal employees of why this exists, the benefit they're going to get out of it. And then for their IT and internal support teams, how they can make sure that they're supporting that appropriately so that everybody's getting the best use out of it. You know, think of a time where you've adopted a new technology and it hasn't been fully baked. I mean, we've all been there, right? And you try to go and implement that and then everyone gets a bad taste in their mouth of it. And the whole goal behind it can get lost if you don't have that whole support structure around it. I think something that I've seen that's been really effective is when people are able to engage their senior leadership in that process. Getting senior leadership by them, getting senior leadership ownership that the technology isn't just a technology solution, but a reevaluation of how we're looking at processes and how we're going to support those processes to get the end results that we're looking for. Paul, um, you said a couple of things that kind of uh, really um, resonated with me. One is um, that the machine needs to be as efficient as possible, especially as we enter these times of uncertainty, right? That is it's no secret to any of us in the business sector. Um, you, you know, I, I do think that... Um, for the last three years, providing flexibility and choice to our employees has been the right thing to do for employees to balance um, everything that's going on around the world. I, my sense is that um, we are going through probably another pivotal point, entering another pivotal point that would have that would force us to kind of rethink a lot of the narrative, a lot of the actions we take as well. 
um, you know, and in, 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 in what you share with us around middle management and, and, and kind of early in careers coming into the office more frequently or needing that support, middle management kind of saying, hey, you know, I'm already, I, I build those, those uh, relationships, like I don't need to be in the office often. We're seeing that uh, LinkedIn is one of some of our offices, you know, middle management come, are coming to the lower um, new early in career folks coming to the office more frequently, middle management a little bit less, and then executives a little bit more, right? That's kind of the general trend. Um, and, and my sense is that at some point in the future, even those those elements are going to realign, those behaviors are going to realign with what the business outcomes requires, right? Or how the business out- outcomes might shift, the expected business out- outcomes might shift. But yeah, fully fully agreed with with Kevin. I think technology is going to play a core part of that. But I think technology alone won't solve it, right? There's going to be policy. There's going to be um, even expected behaviors, culture, and all of those other elements that need to support it. Yeah, and, and we hear a lot about community as well. Um, I, I don't know whether it's one of those words that just sounds very nice and you know touchy feely. Is it a real thing? How important is it? Kevin, you're nodding along there. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone's looking at ways to meet their peak performance. I mean, that's what Victor is saying 100% is that companies want to make sure that their employees are operating the most efficiently that they can. Community helps everyone. We all, we all know it inherently, right? We know that community is a part of what makes us more enjoyable at our job, what makes us better at our job, what helps us grow. In particular, when you're talking about someone who's newer as an employee, getting that sense of community. And I think that's something we need to drive because I think of my onboarding process in my past career, you know, it, it sounds silly, but those first like week or week and a half, two weeks or whatever, when you're meeting everyone and you're new and everything's exciting, everything's great. I see a lot of times now that that onboarding process is moved remotely and everyone's just watching videos online, getting assigned technology remotely. Maybe there's a call or two or something like that to try to build that sense of community. But those pieces that have been lost a little bit by having this hybrid remote work, I think we're going to start to see affect performance. And I think companies are going to really focus on that as a way to help drive peak performance again, because they're going to look and say, hey, why, where are our gaps? Where are we you know, stepping down a little bit? And I think community is really something that they're going to look at and want to push towards. I think LinkedIn's done a great job of that, both of their physical design and their software for that matter. Um, yeah, so yeah, a hundred percent, um, Kevin and Paul, I, I think, I think that's a, that's a good question. I, I, I like the way you post that question because, um, it is a word that sounds nice. I do think that there's, I, I feel like there's a lot of meaning to it and, and, but I also feel that we are misinterpreting it to an extent, the, the industry and, and here, here's kind of how some, some of the stuff that I've seen and, and what I'm, I'm hearing. So. At LinkedIn, we ask employees, why do you, you want to come back into the office? And I read many, many papers before with a similar question um, to other companies outside of LinkedIn. And, and the number one reason for LinkedIn is amenities. We provide our employees 100% subsidized food, and that's a big attractor of people back into the office. And it's good quality food, too. So um, the second one um, is the, um, the, 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 the collaboration community. Kind of, They want to spend time with people. Now... What the, the industry then, the way we interpret that, uh, the industry interpret that is like, okay, well, that means that people just want to come in to collaborate. But what we're seeing happen is people come in, they, they do want to be with their teams and maybe a level of collaboration in person, 
but they're not collaborating eight hours in the office or six hours, right? They're collaborating the normal time, like an hour, two hours. The rest of the time, they're at the desk making sales calls. They're at the desk doing code or doing what they're doing. The people, that's how the office is, is still being utilized. So I, I, I think, but I do believe that he, here's, um, I believe that people want to be near their team members. And then so when they're coming into the office, um, it's enabling that. And I think just by being like physical proximity, sometimes just, hey, quickly, uh, a 30-second question, right? But if you think about, you talk about being efficient, I think that really allows us to be efficient in how in our operating models, right? Because that you don't have to schedule a 30-minute transactional meeting to go answer that question. You, that's real. And sometimes real innovation happens in, in, in those instances when people come together. So, but but just the way I think about it logically in my engineering brain is that um, when you bring people together, that leads to, or community leads to trust. Trust leads to commitment. Commitment then leads to better business outcomes, right? And that's, and to me, it's a linear, it's inputs and outputs. And so there's a true value proposition for just talking about that and creating the environment where that can take place. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Kevin, did you want to, to add on that? No, I think Victor said a key word there, and, and I don't think I've said it yet today, and it's, it's one of my favorite ones, and it's innovation. Collaboration, community, that flexibility is a key part to the speed of innovation. If there's three of us talking and suddenly we feel like we're onto something, we should be able to collaborate any way we want to, anytime we want to. Because innovation is what driving is what driving business forward. Everyone, every company knows they need innovation. It's a question of what they're using both from a technology and a policy perspective to let their employees be innovative and responsive and be fast. Innovation is, once again, you have that spark, you have that moment, and you have to be fast to be able to drive innovation forward to develop new solutions, new products, new ideas. Yeah. You know, um, Paul, I, I, I went to the Workspaces conference this last weekend, um, this last week, and um, someone made a statement that um, there's no part, there's no part for efficiency and innovation. And, 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 and really what they're trying to get to is, um, or even productivity and innovation. And what they're trying to get to is, um, when we talk about when working fully distributed, the, the, the one of the value propositions that we talked about is that that allows us to be efficient, right? Or, or productive. People talk about like, I can be productive from my house. But when you talk about innovating, you need to come together. Like the, you need to have those um, conversations. You need to allow your brain to be exposed to something that you don't hear about every day, right? Collaborate with your your weak connections, not only your strong collaborators, your strong connections. Yeah, I thought uh, what Kevin was saying kind of just reminded me of that. Reminded me of that. Absolutely, and and there are some big tech names like Google who have insisted on people coming into the office. Maybe not five days, but it has surprised some people. It got a lot of coverage in in London, where they said, you know, we've hired people from all over the world, but we expect you here three days a week in the office because you have to expose yourselves to random moments and and random ideas that you overhear. Because yes, you can have a eureka moment on your own, and you know, you you think of a great idea. But a lot of great ideas and innovation come out of a conversation where somebody says something and somebody else has other knowledge and they can add and together you create something. Um, have you thought of it like this? Have you tried it from this way around? Um, so, yeah, you can't do that sort of necessarily sitting at home in a more passive, passive role. Okay, so let's distill this down to 
what it's like actually for listeners that are working in real estate and they come to that moment where they've got to procure, they've got to, to buy technology. How do you help those people that are listening in take account of, of everything that we, we've talked about, the factors, the, you know, digesting the market trends and, and then help them make better decisions around choosing tech partners? What are some of the factors they should be, be considering? The first thing I would say is get something that is cloud-based. Don't don't get something that is on-prem. You know, everything we're talking about, flexible, scalable, fast, easily updated, get something that is cloud-based. You don't want something that is on-prem. This isn't, you know, 2009 anymore where you should be filling up racks full of servers. Get something that's cloud-based because it's going to fit your solution so much better. Like that speed of experimentation is a big piece of this, right? You know, it's important to try things out, pilot things, see how they go. Maybe you like something, maybe you don't, but being a cloud-based solution lets you pilot, lets you experiment. And the cloud solution is probably going to give you better data too. I know that's anecdotal. I don't have like a stat that says cloud's going to give you better data, but I bet you the cloud is going to give you better data just because you have so many backend analytics you can put on cloud data as opposed to, once again, your server is loaded, your server is running, and your server has a certain limit on the amount of processing power it has. The cloud has, not infinite, but pretty darn close to infinite processing power to be able to take that data so when you're experimenting, when you're scaling, when you're trying different things, it's going to give you that flexibility to, you know, be frictionless here, be scalable and flexible over here in this type of way and do both at the same time a lot faster. Sure, sure. Victor, what would be your, uh, your, your big idea for people to take away? My, my advice is people need, need to really understand the problem. They need to understand why, what am I solving for? And, and, and is, do I even have a problem to begin with, right? It's like, um, and, and, then, and then after they identify what the problem is, then they have to think about like, what are the solutions out there that can help solve for this problem? Um, and then do a comprehensive evaluation around, do I build this solution or do I go buy it? And, 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 then, and then kind of what makes the most sense for me um, as a company, uh, the teams, the resources I might have. Um, and also understand what is the total cost of ownership? Like what, what am I, what am I, is there an initial implementation? And if I go buy it, like I, I think Kevin's point around the cloud, what is the recurring fees to, 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 to have this, my technology and the cloud every, every, um, every year or months or however the, the timeline is. So I, I think that's important. Um, I do think the other thing as, as people are going through this, they should clearly understand what are the measurements of success? What are the KPIs? Like if I deploy this software, what? How do I know that this software is going to give me the the right result, and how can I measure that? And you know, you guys know, like typically, Kevin, I'm sure you talk about engagement, you talk about adoption, engagement, and some of those more traditional metrics. But my sense is that organizations, based on what they're solving for, they might have additional metrics they want to measure. And then, and I would agree 100% with Kevin. It's like um, pilot, test, pilot, iterate, deploy. If it makes sense, if it's solving the solution, go and deploy it. But, but just going in with the mindset of like robust process, what I just talked about, but going with the mindset that I'm going to pilot this. I don't need to deploy. I don't need to, to make it accessible to 100% of the company. Let me just make it to 50 people, early adapters. Let's see how it works. People are going to give me feedback so I can iterate and make the product better for, 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 my, for my company. Wonderful. Some, some great advice there. Thank you very much. Just, just one final thought on the economic outlook. And 
We've talked about, uh, like you were just saying, piloting, iteration, experimentation. Do you think people's appetite for experimenting is is going to be reduced because of, of the, you know, the fear of the risk? They've got more to lose. They're maybe more focused on budgets, things like that. Or um, how do you think that's going to play out, Kevin? Again, I'll come to you first. You know, I, I think you bring up a good point. It's all about building the case that it's going to align very closely with your performance and business goals are. If I have something I build up a strong case for and I say I want to pilot this because it's really going to help me achieve my goals, I think most companies, I mean, once again, there's obviously a scale and a dollar value where that's not going to be the case, but at least for piloting and testing, I think there's still going to be an appetite for that. But once again, it'll be a stronger focus on what my goals are, what my reasoning is behind it, and justifying it to senior leadership to make that a priority in terms of what resources I have available. Sure. Victor, closing thoughts? I agreed 100% with, with Kevin's uh, on that. I, I do think that's going to become tighter and tighter, guys. It's just a reality of the of this um, different business cycle that we are entering. Right? And, then, and then so without a strong ROI, um, there's, <laughs> it's highly unlikely it's going gonna, it's gonna to get proven. We just need to be real, right? But, but, but if, but if, if you have a strong business case with strong ROI and is in indirect support of how the company wants to operate and in, 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 in support of the business objectives, I do think that it'd be difficult for for the decision makers to say no. We we're not going to invest on that. So um, I think I think that's a that's a great question. Just in terms of departing um, departing thoughts, I think is um, and because. Kevin and I obviously there's a relationship between a potential consumer of, of technology and, and, and technology and a, and a technologist so, uh, a product. I think it's important for people to um, partner with companies that align with the purpose, right? Partner, find the companies that you know that they would support your purpose, that that would get aligned with what you're trying to solve for. Um, test and iterate. We talked, Kevin both and I both talked about that. Going with the mentality of experimentation, test, and iterate, um, and know that you're not going to get it right. Like it's not going to be right the first time, and it's going to feel a little bit friction. Like as you test, as you set it up, as you integrate with your existing systems, and um, yeah, it's gonna it's it's gonna take a little bit of some iteration and time to to get it right. Thank you very much. Wonderful. Really enjoyed that. Brilliant discussion. Thanks, guys. That's been Kevin Wilhelm from uh, Shari and Victor Sanchez from LinkedIn. I've been Paul Unger from Placetech. Um, Today's episode was brought to you in association with Shari. Shari is a workplace experience platform that brings together multiple touch points to redefine workplace experience, including mobile access with Apple Wallet support, smart parking, hybrid work, visitor management and employee engagement. More than 40 million square feet is powered by Shari's software, including the iconic One Vanderbilt high-rise in Manhattan. Find out more at shari.tech. Thanks, everyone.